0: Hello and welcome to the Holistic Healing Project with me, Dr. Lauren MacDonald. Each week, I will be sitting down with a range of experts, thought leaders and other inspiring humans to explore how we can all bring more healing into our lives. I believe we all have the capacity to self-heal, to experience more joy, greater meaning and deeper connection. I really hope these conversations inspire and support you on your own journey back to wholeness. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Holistic Healing Project. I hope you're having a really good week so far. Now this week I'm exploring the relationship between plants and people with Erin Lovell-Verenda. Erin is a herbalist, nutritionist, author, and a huge advocate for the healing power of nature. By now, most of us are aware of the benefits of eating a plant-based diet. So that involves eating more vegetables, fruits, whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, and legumes. But we don't always consider how plants can also be medicinal. As well as talking about the various plants, herbs and spices that can support our health and well-being, our conversation is also a call to respect the traditional beginnings of conventional medicine and an invitation for you to get outside into the natural world. Just a final comment that although we are talking about plants in a medicinal way it's really important that you don't only use plants to heal yourself or support your well-being and pharmaceutical drugs are absolutely required in certain instances and just be aware that just because something is natural it doesn't mean that there will be no side effects or interactions. I really hope you enjoy our conversation and as always if you can rate and review that is really helpful to keep getting the podcast out to more people. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So I was really drawn to you and your work because I think there's such a gap still between traditional Western medicine and the natural world, especially the world of herbal medicine. Mm. And I know you've got a new book coming out, which we'll talk about shortly. So for anyone who doesn't know you, hasn't come across you, would you mind just explaining your
1: background a little bit? Yeah, totally. Thank you. Um, So I've really been working in these realms for, it's going on 21 years now because I got well into healing and everything esoteric when I was 16 and started training in energetic healing. When I was sort of 16, 17, 18, went deep into it, 18, 19, 20, and um, really began with Reiki and really um, expanded into like auric healing and yeah, far more esoteric, crystal healing, kinesiology, color therapy. It's a funny way that I got into this all because I started more in the spiritual realms of healing. And as the years went on, I grounded way more into learning about our physical bodies. And I really felt like after I knew and understood a lot more of spiritual, emotional imbalances and where they were driven from, I then felt like I needed to go and learn much more about the physical body. So I enrolled in a Bachelor of Naturopathy in Australia. And then I forked off into a Bachelor of Western Herbal Medicine and Nutritional Medicine, because I felt I really wanted to know more about the plants and the herbs specifically, um, and also about food as medicine. So I have studied all up in a traditional sense for seven years in a college, but actually have really been studying over these 21 years in so many different ways and putting it into practice. So I really merged the kind of clinical naturopathic medicine, so I do a lot of functional testing and I work with GPs and I do blood testing as well. I mean, I, I, I work deeply within those realms and then I bring it into those, you know, the more energetic, spiritual, grassroots herbalism and um, all the things in between and bridge them together. So it's a pretty unique way to work, but that's how I came to be where I'm at right now.
0: Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that you're bridging this gap because there is still the mm-hmm. divide between you know, the the very conventional way of practicing medicine and then this world of herbal medicine or natural medicine. And, right. Yeah, it's just great to have someone in this bridging this gap, which is so important. Yeah. And
1: thank you.
0: Preparing for this interview, I went away and looked up what what's there? What is in this gap that we can really start to bridge the two worlds? And it's so mm. interesting because even as a doctor, I forget that so many of the drugs that we use in Western medicine are actually derived from plants, you know, totally. things like Aspirin from willow bark, right. um, um, what else is it? Poppies for opium, morphine, uh, yeah. digoxin, foxgloves. You know, the list goes on and on. Totally. And I even found some research that um, the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2015 was won by a female scientist who had actually found an anti-malarial drug off the back of going through all of the old herbal research. She's mm-hmm. of Chinese origin. And really finding... Um, something you know way way back that had been passed down generation by generation and then I think of a mm. sweet one and mm-hmm. yeah she found this this amazing drug off the back of looking through these traditional so um, yeah, it was yeah. so, so amazing and we just forget yeah. and we don't realize that so many of the drugs that we use today um, are, are derived from plants. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely and I, I was just going to say that I think a lot of that is just people the languaging and the marketing of how pharmaceuticals have come to the surface that there's such a deep separation from them being derived from a natural space or everything being interconnected so it's it makes sense a lot of people have absolutely no idea where aspirin was derived from or where morphine was derived from because the language and the understanding of that is just so different now
0: yeah, and also then thrown into the mix then is our pharmaceutical companies going to want to fund trials into these natural substances? Totally. You know, you know, it's much. Yes. It's, is it really profitable? So that's another thing that comes into it. So you work as a herbalist,
1: uh-huh. and yes.
0: what's the difference between a
1: naturopath and a herbalist? Yeah, it's a really great question. Not that much, except that when you're a herbalist, you study deeper and longer with. Herbalism and herbal medicine. So, um, when I was studying naturopathy, the reason why I forked off is because I wanted to do those extra units of plant medicine and herbalism. I wanted to understand more about the plants, and that wasn't offered under the naturopathy umbrella. And naturopathic medicine or naturopathy is really an umbrella term for a lot of different ethoses of healing to come together to create one offering, which is naturopathy. So, there's all these different elements that you study you do a lot of homeopathy or you do even massage therapy as a naturopath, but then you do all the heavy sciences, anatomy and physiology, pharmacology, herbalism, nutritional medicine. So all of these things kind of come together to understand the body and the being to treat naturally and holistically. Whereas with herbal medicine, um, again, you do a bunch of those things, but you're not doing those extra subjects like the homeopathy or, or massage. You're really just going deep into the plant medicine and then all the sciences as well. But it's just really focused on herbs, which I loved. I was like, I just want to know more and more about the plants. And then I'm a nutritionist as well. So yeah, I work with food as medicine to heal, to complement working with the plants. So yeah, there isn't a great difference, except that as a herbalist, you're really dedicated to just working with the plants as your medium of healing. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's great. Thank you for clearing that up. And what kind of conditions are you mainly working with people who have got health issues to improve those issues, or are you working in the field of health optimization? Kind of where do you Mm -hmm. work? What kind of
1: area? It's both. You know, a lot of people will come to me predominantly with chronic health issues and health issues that they've had a really tricky time with historically. Often they're not acute things. They're things where people have, you know, we're talking about like a lot of digestive issues, a lot of hormonal imbalances, fertility issues, uh, autoimmune conditions, uh, skin issues, a lot of chronic things that they've probably tried a bunch of things for and they've come to the point where they are looking at it now from a more natural perspective. But then on the flip side of that, I get a lot of people who are just really interested in optimizing wellbeing, taking care of themselves deeper and uh, weaving plants and foods to really just supercharge their well being and take deep care of themselves. So I get a bit of both, but predominantly really ill people, honestly.
0: And I love that you mentioned you actually work alongside GPs. So have you noticed yeah. a shift in recent years that you're actually getting more referrals because yeah, you know, that,
1: that suggests that the gap is starting to be bridged? For sure. I wish I could say it was being bridged more. It's um, it's a, still a really challenging area, I think, for a lot of naturopathic practitioners to work with GPs because I think what happens in a lot of scenarios is that uh, the GP really doesn't have any understanding of what... The naturopath is offering, or the herbalist is offering, and perhaps they've had a bad experience, or something in the media has skewed their opinion about what naturopathic medicine is or what herbalism is. And therefore, many GPs really freely knock these realms and will try to talk their clients out of seeing a practitioner. And there's a bunch of things I hear stories that I, it's very upsetting because. I personally do my best to always be very neutral and supportive of whatever feels good for my client and to encourage them to have continued care with their GPs um, and make sure everyone's in the same loop. Saying that, that's the downside potentially, but the upside is that there's an ever-growing kind of collective of GPs that are interested in naturopathic medicine themselves, and also they feel they've seen benefits from their clients working with a naturopathic practitioner which is awesome. And therefore they're like really supportive of what they're doing. And then also, I've also really cultivated a lot of connection with some great GPs over the years. And we work really harmoniously together to make sure that that person has incredible care from all angles. And I, in those cases, I find there's a real magical kind of union, um, a real therapeutic union that happens for people People feel very taken care of, which is very important in the healing process. For people to feel heard and seen and taken care of, and when you've got uh, a really nice flow on between your practitioners, it makes a huge difference. I just we've just got a long way to go to educate all of us to educate ourselves.
0: Yeah, and come together for the patient as well for the client. That's exactly right. You've just made me remember an experience I had not long after my cancer diagnosis I came across herbs and spices and plants really as a way to potentially you know support my immune system reduce inflammation and I did go a bit over the top to be honest and I didn't seek you know I should have come to someone like you for advice but instead I was off doing my own research and then adding in these various supplements and I did tell my doctor at one point I was taking turmeric and maybe garlic I wasn't taking a huge range at that time Mm. and I remember so clearly her saying Lauren you're an educated doctor like what are you doing like stop with these Mm. and it just made me it didn't actually make me stop taking them it just made me think oh I won't share that again with anybody
1: Mm. and actually I think
0: that's a huge problem because you know when when we're talking about natural medicine obviously there, there's still potential side effects and interactions oh. that can happen with other drugs and if, if the patient doesn't feel comfortable speaking to their doctor about what they're taking Definitely. you know, it might go unknown you know i remember one of the things we were always taught was st john's Wort, which obviously a lot of people take right. for depression but actually can interact with so many yeah, different drugs and warfarin mm-hmm. being the main one that springs to mind and mm. it's that changing the narrative in Minds of conventional doctors to maybe not, you know, wholeheartedly embrace it, but just say it in a way that makes a patient feel comfortable speaking about it because otherwise, yeah, we're going to miss these
1: potential interactions, which is really, really dangerous. That's it. I really understand like everyone's doing the best with their jobs, but I just do feel that, um, ultimately, we all need to be there for our patients, and if we're not making them feel like they're silly for trying something different to try to get better is that really a supportive or okay thing to do as a practitioner to not sort of let somebody have their process? I think it's just really important to um, just be open. And that sense of openness, what it will really encourage is clearer communication between you and the client, you and the patient. And therefore we won't miss those key medications they might be on or modalities that they're trying that we could have something to say about, right? If we don't know about it, how can we make change or support? So I do think that that's super important. And I'm always working at Bridging the Gaps. And I remember when I first started in practice and I was like, how am I going to meet these doctors and how are they going to give me the time of day? And I really just um, contacted many doctors that I thought would be open to meeting with me and offered to buy them a tea and sit down with them or pay for the appointment to talk to them about what I did and to try to create some rapport. So to honor their time and energy and tell them what I did and what I'm hoping to do and would they be open to referrals? And and it was like, I really was only received well, which is actually amazing. And many of those practitioners, those GPs have become friends over the years and I get to share a lot of clients with and make sure people have awesome care. So I'm very grateful for them.
0: Yeah. That's really great. That fills me with hope. Yeah, yeah definitely. As I mentioned, I definitely took a through the kitchen sink approach. I was so desperate at the time. I was so scared. I couldn't walk past. In the UK, we have um, a shop called Neil's Yard and a friend worked there. And it got to the point where I couldn't walk past Neil's Yard without diving in to see if there was another supplement or something that I'd read about online that was going, going to potentially help me yeah. to beat cancer. At one point, I think I was taking about 30 supplements a day and wow. I hadn't been advised by anyone. So looking back, I think, well, I was lucky I didn't get really ill. But I'd love to explore with you a few of the ones that I did start taking yeah. at the time, just because I'd love to know a little bit more about them, if that's okay, and your thoughts. Sure. I started juicing every day and mm. I added ginger, turmeric and parsley were some of the mm. key Herb, spices, plants I added to my daily green juice. Awesome. Um,
1: What do you think about those? I think they're great. I mean, I think, I mean, turmeric particularly has such an incredible anti inflammatory impact. And so I think that that's a really great one for all of us to be including, you know, in our diets. The thing about a lot of like potent herbal medicines, they really, they're so smart because they disguise themselves as kind of culinary spices. And they are in most people's everyday diet in some capacity. So I think they're amazing because they're such potent healers, but we're also used to kind of seeing them in our everyday. And that's even more reason why we should explore them and weave them into our meals, our food, our juices. I think that, uh, yeah, you're on the money with the turmeric. I think the ginger is the beautiful one to warm the body as well and bring a bit more warmth into the system. I mean, ginger has so many applications. It's one of those ones that you really can't go wrong with. It's very good for the digestive system too. And then I love parsley. I think you've got like a really nice little antioxidant cocktail in there as well with with that combination. Was there a reason why you used those three?
0: I, At the time, I'd just been researching anything that could potentially reduce inflammation in my body yeah. and yeah. potentially help support my immune system. And then with yeah. parsley, the evidence is thin on the ground, but there was a yeah. few studies that suggested there's compounds in parsley that can help fight right. cancer cells. I was being driven by fear to just basically throw everything in. But at the same time, oh. you, know, I, I I by, right. you know, I didn't think I was going to cause myself any harm by, I didn't think I was going to overdose on parsley, for example. So
1: Totally. It's, it's a lot easier to get in a lot of those nutrients when you're juicing as well. It's a lot easier to have a huge amount of ginger, a huge amount of turmeric in a juice than to be, you know, adding it into food in that way too. So when you're trying to get a kind of bioavailable therapeutic dose in something, sometimes juicing is really great for that.
0: And also, it was just the way I was so focused on my gut health as well. I really was just looking for it to take on as much fiber as I could. So I was actually eating the pulp as well. I wasn't just doing it. it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: What else? I know you're really big on gut health. What else do you recommend? What plants do you recommend for improving gut health or just feeding the microbiome?
1: There's so many. I mean, there really are so many great plants, but looking at prebiotic plants can be really helpful. Marshmallow is a great prebiotic plant. Um, And slippery elm as well. You see when slippery elm and marshmallow, they have, we're talking about like root and bark here. You know, when you add water to those plants they become really thick and goopy and what we call demulcent and mucilaginous so they definitely don't just turn into like a thin water you know they're kind of goopy and they're great for the gut because they're so soothing they really coat the intestines and they really reduce inflammation and especially if you've got anything going on like any feeling of rawness and reflux or indigestion those herbs can be really great but um, definitely prebiotic plants are wonderful. And then there's so many, honestly, it just depends what's going on. Like if you've got your indigestion or you've got bloating or you've got constipation or you've got diarrhea, I could give you a list of 30 that you could apply. That's why it's so great to work with a herbalist or consult with an antropath because the different plants suit different people. They suit different presentations, energetic presentations. Let's say there's 10 people with indigestion. I would probably suggest 10 different types of protocols for those people, depending on what's going on for them. So it, it is hard to generalise, but um, there are a lot of good plants. I It's mean, much more complicated yeah. than I thought, yeah. It's much more complicated. Uh, I mean, there are definite like those staple digestive kind of herbs that will always be like soothing and healing for the belly um, and calming for the belly, like peppermint and chamomile. They're so like ge- generally lovely, calming herbs for the belly, um, Meadow sweet's great for indigestion. There's just a, there's a bunch. The list goes on. Like anything, the individualized care element of prescribing plants is of utmost importance to get the match and the alchemy correct when somebody works with plant medicines. Okay,
0: that's lovely. Yeah, and that's exactly why I can see now I shouldn't have just kept going to Neil's yard and buying all these herbs yeah. really yeah. without consulting anybody. And um, can I ask you a few about
1: a few others I was taking sure. at the time?
0: Um, and yeah. milk
1: thistle. Yeah, I love it. Yep. So so Selibum marianum. Yep. So St. Mary's thistle, they call it milk thistle as well. So it's actually one of my favourite plants. There's thistle pretty much growing everywhere. So thistle all look really, really uh, similar and they've got like a really gnarly, strong, spiky stem that you wouldn't even want to go near because it's so spiky. And then the top of them will have this sort of purple bulbous head with all these spikes coming out. So anyway, I just love how they look so gnarly, but they're so powerful and regenerative for the liver. And that's why I would prescribe it generally. It works on the hepatobiliary system, particularly the liver, to regenerate and to protect. So it's a very smart herb. Um, I've seen it work incredibly effectively to reduce liver enzymes and to support like a fatty liver and an overburdened liver in recovery so I think for you to protecting the liver supporting the liver to regenerate to heal to recover I'm not sure were you doing treatment as well did you do
0: I hadn't started treatment at the time. Um, no, I was it. I I was post surgery and right. I was stage stage three at the time, and I was just doing anything I could to try and yeah clean up I and mean, kill even, any cancer cells that were in my body.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's a great one to work with when you are going into a surgery with all of your herbs and things. You've got to be careful just with taking something right up to to surgery. Always consult with your practitioner, but prior to surgery, and then also after surgery, it's a good one to support. Uh, Like this is not, this is really not a holistic suggestion, but people do drink heavily. So I I often will tell people to take a lot of St Mary's Thistle before they're about to drink heavily and after as well to support the liver. And I don't suggest you go drink heavily and eat a few capsules of St Mary's Thistle, but it actually it really helps people's hangovers because it is protecting the liver, which is really interesting. I actually
0: mentioned to my friend that I was speaking with you, and she's a doctor who works here in Australia. And yes. I mentioned a few of the herbs that I tried in the past. And she said, oh, actually, we use milk thistle in ED here with certain wow. people that come in with, um, I think, various different toxins that have, they've taken. But I just mm. think that's so great to see so something cool. like that being used in,
1: in a It's wonderful. That's so cool. There are a bunch of herbs I know are used in emergency. And particularly, there's one supplement company in Australia that I feel like seems to be leading the way with a lot of hospital trials is the Biomedica. It's a prescription-only company. but They were doing a lot of trials with turmeric in one particular hospital, which was really fascinating. I think it was liposomal turmeric. So these are the gaps that are being bridged and I think will continue to be bridged more and more. We just need more people talking about it and sharing about it and normalizing that plant medicine is a part of your everyday life because you're already eating the plants in your kitchen, you know, and they're actually medicinal. So we just have to turn our ideas and our openness around medicinal plants because they're already with us.
0: Yeah, and it's just that that knowing, isn't it? You know, before yeah. I was ill, I would sprinkle cinnamon on things without even giving totally. it a second thought that this was potentially right. medicine I was sprinkling, you know. It's, it's, totally. it's, just, that, it's just that knowing and then using mm-hmm. it, like you said, carefully, cautiously, but in a way that can support whatever you need at the time. Totally, yeah. A few other things I, t- I started taking. Oregano oil or Ragnar oil, depending on how you say it.
1: So I feel like oregano oil is one of those ones that maybe people use a little too freely because it's super strong. So I, because I, I understand it's become kind of come to the forefront as a really potent antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal um, healer. So a lot of the time I get a lot of people come in and they say, i definitely got candida I've been eating all my oregano oil capsules on my oregano drops and like nothing's happening and then most of the time when we do a comprehensive stool analysis or we do some yeast cultures they don't even have candida they have something entirely different let's say so it's interesting that the oregano oil wasn't quite doing what they wanted it to do because potentially it's their specific strain of whatever's going on isn't even sensitive to the oregano oil. So it's one of those things that's not a one-size-fits-all as well and you need to be really mindful with it because it can be really strong. It can actually affect the microbiome, the microflora, by having too much of it because it is so antibacterial um, and it's not going to discriminate between the overgrowth of something that's pathogenic and maybe potentially the balance of the goodies that you've got in your gut as well. So I would just suggest for people to use it very gently um, if you're going to use it. and. It can definitely be beneficial. It's just not overdoing it as well. And always take it in an encapsulated form because it's so strong. Um, the oil is so strong. So uh, to get it through the esophagus and into the di- digestive system without burning anything. Um, that's another thing with essential oils. I just always say just to be really mindful because it they can be very strong. So capsule encapsulated form is great. It's very good for the immune system as well. And it is antibacterial, yes, but I think it can be very strong. So you just need to be mindful of it. There's a little bit of a myth that all plants are safe, and that's definitely a myth.
0: Yeah, it's it's just so—it's honestly so good speaking to you, and it really highlights the importance of consulting with, you know, an expert rather than, you know, so often, you know, myself included. When I was ill, I thought, well, these are all natural substances; they can't cause me any harm. I think when I got up to taking about 30 a day, I did realize I was probably going to cause myself some harm. Who knows what interactions were going to happen, but I was just driven by so much fear. And I think that's the problem, isn't it? When you're driven by fear and you're just worried about whether it's cancer or whatever it is you're dealing with, you you don't think necessarily straight. And yeah, it's just really good hearing this from you because it just highlights how important it is to treat these natural medicines as medicine.
1: Yeah and treat them with reverence you know it's I think when we're consuming anything we need to be clear about our intention of why we're consuming it and ask questions and connect with it in a deeper way than just consuming. Though I said you've got to question whether all plants are safe because there's a lot of nuances in plant medicine, there is such a little reporting around people having a adverse reaction as opposed to the pharmaceutical world of reactions. Like I don't want to alarm anyone that things are not safe. It's not about that. It's always good to consult with a practitioner, I guess, regardless, isn't it? It's always good yeah. to ask questions with someone who is a specialist in that area before consuming something. It is about safety, but it's also about inquiring and intention. What's happening with that wellness movement, there's always something that's kind of in vogue that's like having its heyday and people come to me and they're like, oh, I just heard this was good. But it's like, yeah, that is a really great medicinal mushroom that you're mentioning or that's a really great plant medicine, but how is it relevant for you or what are you seeking from it? Mm. I believe when you have more of a connection and understanding and awareness around the plants that you're working with, the energy is also amplified and therefore you'll also create a deeper relationship with the plant medicine that you're working with.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's really helpful. Thank you. You just yeah, mentioned fun. medicinal mushrooms. Do you work with them? I do. Yeah. yeah. I think they're great. great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ch- um, Chaga, reishi and mm. shiitake were the ones that I was Taking nearly every day, actually, just because I was so fascinated by the research
1: coming out, specifically with Chaga, in what way do you work with them? It's individualized, but I mean, I definitely work with them a lot. I'd say that they're woven throughout my day in clinics with clients pretty consistently. I work with a lot of people who have immune issues, there's a lot of like compromised immunity happening. I think that's got a lot to do with stress as well and the stresses that people are under suppressing their immune system, diets, lifestyle. So I find medicinal mushrooms are great rebuilders and healers for immunity and often I'll use a, a trilogy or you know a synergistic kind of combination together. And they work really amazingly, really great for people who have underlying viral drivers, chronic fatigue syndrome, glandular fever, Epstein-Barr, fibromyalgia, um, those kind of chronic immune presentations.
0: So for anyone coming to see you who maybe hasn't got a chronic health problem as such, but just yeah. doesn't feel great, is just maybe yeah. a bit lethargic, you're just not yeah. vibing. What Do you yeah. have certain kind of go-to plants that you recommend that they start with?
1: I usually will work with adaptogens or nervines. So there're two classes of herbal medicine. First of all, adaptogens adapt the stress response in the body. So it's got a lot to do with working on the adrenal system and that HPA axis hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis. And then secondly, nerve ions work on the nervous system. So they work on the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system response. And I find that most of the time when people come and they're like, I just don't feel great. My vitality is not amazing. I'm okay. Nothing's really going on, but I don't feel great. That's got to do with stress and nervous system malfunction um, or stress overload, burnout coming. And their nervous systems are just wigging out because they're just under so much pressure. And this is the epidemic of the modern life. Like this is definitely what's happening right now. And pretty much everybody I see is experiencing some degree of that. So yeah. Do you want examples of those? Yeah, that'd be great. So this is something that I see a lot of people using adaptogens. And I always am like, oh, it's like there's just such a difference in all the different adaptogens. And I hope people really understand what they do because the difference between ashwagandha and rhodiola Um, and schizandra and romania and Cola. Like there's a huge difference between all of those adaptogens, Siberian ginseng, all the ginsengs. The one I use a lot is ashwagandha. I find ashwagandha is a really powerful plant. It's been very powerful for my own healing process as well. Uh, It's just like a warm hug. It has a really embracing warm hug energy and it's great for depleted people. Um, So I use that a bunch. But then Siberian ginseng is a great route to really lift. And it's great for endurance, for physical stamina as well and performance.
0: They were were two of the ones I was taking as well, ashwagandha and Siberian ginseng. Wow, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Part of my (laughs) cocktail. All I take at the moment is ashwagandha and turmeric. I'm in a much better place now that I'm not lining up.
1: 30 supplements. Right. And I think it's also like when they have too many supplements on board, I think it can just really overload the body and overload the energy system. Like there's so many things your body's sort of trying to absorb and do. And often you just kind of can't really let let any of them in when there's too much. So you've just got to think about how much would you even be able to absorb and digest? So often I'll work with people on their guts first and foremost to even get to a place where they could absorb nutrients from their food and supplementation as well. Um, but the nervines really do support the nervous system and calming the nervous system down. They're great for anxiety and stress. They're great for insomnia. Um, they're great for just feeling grounded in your body and feeling calm, cool, and collected. Uh, chamomile is a beautiful one. Passion flower, oats, lemon balm. There's a bunch, you know, lavender, mm. like all of those things that I just rattled off. Most people know about, you know, or in some way they're in there every day. In some way, like you sit down and you eat a big bowl of oaty porridge, well, Yes, you're not using the medicinal extracted milky oat top or oat straw that you're drinking or eating, but this is a very medicinal meal to have. It's so satiating for the nervous system and nourishing. So there's medicine in that too.
0: You mentioned sleep. I know lots mm-hmm. of people struggle with sleep. Do you have any go to yeah. herbs that you'd recommend?
1: Yeah, again, working with all those nervines are a really nice, gentle place to start. And I do feel like people really underestimate the power of a cup of tea. Medicinal teas have just been used for eons, like boiling down your leaves and your roots and flowers and barks and berries. This is the way that many of our ancestors took medicine in forever. So I always encourage herbal teas. I think they're a beautiful little ritual before bed as well. Letting your plants brew for a while, like making a strong 10 to 20 minute brew with a lid on the top to trap all those volatile medicinal oils in. Doing something like chamomile, passion flower, skullcap, lemon balm oat, valerian, kava. There's all of these different herbs that are sedative nervines. Some are a little bit more stronger than others, like your kava can be pretty strong. Kava is one of those perfect ones as an example of safety that kava traditionally used in Islander Fijian ceremony. It really shouldn't be used for long periods of time it can really get you to sleep deeply. When you work with the right plants that really start unraveling and untangling the nervous system and you get like a good few weeks of sleep. In often you can pull the plants out and you absolutely will sleep the same way. So it's just about allowing the body to relax, untangle, welcome in sleep again, and remember that you can do it and you can get into that habit where you just start cycling good sleep. And often the plants get pulled away and you'll keep sleeping well. I'm also always going on about switching off screens and having ideally two hours of screen free time before you go to bed, leaning into the yin of the night, journaling, reading, talking to your friends, your partner, your family, whoever's with you and meditating or conscious breath, relaxing your body. It's all about just really encouraging that melatonin production and in the morning we rise with the sun and our cortisol rises. At night we're really meant to calm everything down. It's meant to be dark and cosy and yin. A lot of people have that all skewed. So when I'm working with plant medicine, yeah, I work with those herbs but I also then work with all of those other interventions to get people to really reboot their sleep and allow themselves to rest.
0: The way you describe it, it is that shifting from our modern, hectic way of living, using plant medicine but also just tuning into how you know our ancestors lived. Living with the cycle of the sun and and not yeah. looking at screens. It's just also important
1: and also yeah. healing.
0: You recently did a digital detox, didn't you? You came off everything yeah. for a while. Yeah. How
1: was that for you? I have to say, like, does anyone thrive being around screens? I don't think so. Like, I definitely get overwhelmed. And I think there's so many ways to communicate these days. There's your emails and your DMs and your mobile, your text. Sometimes you really do just need to switch off and you need to just be present in complete presence. And for me, I'll often get taken away from presence. So, I really have to check myself. So, for me, doing those digital detoxes allows me to just be completely present. And I don't feel like I need to be anywhere else. And I find that really, really, really healing and restorative personally. Um, And also, when I'm working on different projects, like when I was writing the book, I took some time off Instagram as well. And I needed to just really be in my own creative genius and not like influenced by anything else that was coming at me or I was consuming. So, I had to not follow anyone else that was doing anything that might be in my realm or I just had to shut everything down to just trust what was coming forward for me.
0: How long did you manage, how long were you kind of off digital? Six weeks I think. Yeah Uh, it's a long time because a lot of people you know they can manage a day or a weekend but six weeks is a long time to be away especially when your business is very much you know you you run a lot
1: of Instagram so yeah that must have just been such
0: an amazing well I guess it just
1: freed up so much space for you. It's so it freed up so much space for me and it just allows me to I find myself much more creative when I'm totally with my own process. I mean, I feel like everybody does. But, you know, when you're just with yourself in it, because there is so much information when you're on Instagram, I just find it oversaturates me sometimes. Even though I'm really mindful of not sitting and scrolling, it's still a lot to take in. And I'm just also a very, very sensitive person. So sometimes I just have to shut it down, you know. Mm. Sometimes you can't always produce, you know. You just need to be in receptivity and receiving and taking care of It's not about producing or being available or being, you know, all the things it's just about resting. And that's awesome. But I think we've got it way back the front around allowing ourselves to rest. And for me, the the digital detox is just allowing myself to be present with my own process. And a lot of good things come from that when I give that space to myself. And can
0: we dive into this amazing book that you've written, which is coming out in Australia, March the 1st, isn't it? And yeah. March, yes. I think it's the UK, March the 26th, and then the USA, May the 5th. And it's called Plants for the People. And it just looks so beautiful. And um, I'd just love to know your intention behind the book.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I... I've wanted to write, like I love writing and written for a lot of online platforms and my own works. And I felt like in the space of herbalism, it's a little polarizing, I think, for a lot of people who maybe aren't already in it. There's a few different types of herbal medicine books. On one side, they're very, very clinical and scientific, more for somebody who actually is practicing or studying. And there's some great books. And on the other side, I think there's a lot of sort of literature that was written more in the seventies, eighties and nineties and they're great too, but they're a particular vibe, a particular look, particular kind of language. And I really just wanted to upgrade this kind of offering and plant medicine and herbalism more into this space where it might pull in people that would not normally be drawn to those kind of books. So I wanted to give it more of a modern aesthetic and I wanted to just create a little bit more accessibility, but I also just wanted to strip it back. So it's a great intro book for people who don't really know where to begin with plant medicine and also people who are fans of plant medicine and already use it to have a really beautiful manual that can just deepen their knowledge. My biggest intention was I wanted to show people that it's not complicated. It can actually be very very simple. Sure it can get complicated when you're at a practitioner level or you're this is your what you breathe and live, but for an everyday action, plant medicine is so accessible and so friendly, truly. So, yeah, I really wanted to give the voice to 40 plants that a lot of people would already know and realize, oh, wow, that garlic that I'm using, that turmeric, that ginger, wow, they're actually really medicinal. Maybe I can use them in these ways, too, and learn the depths of the plants that are probably already in their lives. So it was about just like upgrading the space for me and bringing it to a different audience and ultimately getting people to reconnect back to nature. And to understand that nature is the greatest healer, and it's about time that we all give great reverence and keep connecting back in.
0: And that's it, isn't it? It's not just the taking of the plants; no. it's actually just being in nature, spending time in nature is yeah. so healing. You know, we've got so much evidence that it totally. is just healing to be in nature. I mean, just jumping back a little bit, you mentioned earlier about how, say, for example, ashwagandha—you're very mm-hmm. cautious about where you source it from. And something I've found recently is I was looking for a white sage smudging stick yeah. from my yoga yeah. retreat and I look, was looking online and actually came across an article that said that it's actually really bad at the moment to be buying white sage because it's been over harvested to the point where it's been ravaged for commercialism and Mm -hmm. I don't think it's that common knowledge you can see white sage being sold in yoga studios and various shops all around the world what are your thoughts on that because obviously there's a real fine balance isn't there between encouraging people to get in touch with nature use plants Mm -hmm. and then there's that tipping point I guess especially for certain herbs and plants
1: totally yeah the white sage is such a good example and in the book I did a section on like ceremonial sticks. And I, I clearly say garden sage. I don't say anything about white sage because garden sage is easy to grow and it's something that absolutely can be substituted for white sage. I just think there's so many things you can sub out for that. And I've really tried to make that clear in my book that I really am concerned about the over-harvesting of plant. I look at Palo Santo too. Palo Santo is basically endangered now. And um, I understand there are people still selling in stores, but a lot of the stores will say, where it's sourced from. So they're they're grown and cultivated, which is a different scenario than something that's been ravaged from the wild. But this happens to plants that become popular and happens again and again. And it is really important to be super mindful because you think, okay, if, if there's a few people going out to collect these plants in the wild who've been going out and collecting those plants for medicine, great. But when it comes to the forefront and then there's thousands of people going out collecting those plants, the impact that it can have on the environment is devastating. So you really do need to inquire about which species and what plants are on the list of endangered or potentially endangered species. And there are great resources for that. I put a bunch in the back of the book actually. And I also give um, guidelines to wild crafting because I wanted to make sure that if people are going out there picking plants, they have a strong understanding of the ethics in herbalism around how we approach plant medicine so it's very important that you inquire and just be really mindful like if you see a white sage Stick in the in the shop, ask about where it 's from, where it 's grown, you know, let the shopkeeper know that it 's over harvested and you 've got concerns and maybe they could buy some locally made garden sage, or you know like i make I make my sticks with like um garden grown mugwort and garden sage and lavender and holy basil and a bunch of different herbs that you can just grow in your garden and you can sort of bundle them up, you know, put your twine around them and dry them, and they 're beautiful, yeah definitely, mm-hmm. and I know you posted the
0: other day that it 's plants for the people, but people for the plants as well. And it's that idea of kind of, it yeah. is reciprocal. We have to look after the plants. You know, they're looking yeah. after us. Nature's
1: here to totally. look after us, but we have to have to look after nature as well. Totally. And that was definitely like, for me, the title of the book. I wanted to catch people's eyes around there's an interconnected relationship between plants and people, but then there's a chapter that is Plants for the People, People for the Plants in the book. And I go on all about how it's a relationship and there's reciprocity between. Absolutely.
0: I know that you're a huge fan of just spending time in nature yourself.
1: What do you like to do to kind of unwind? Where do you go? Yeah, well, it's changed a lot because for 12 years we lived in the Blue Mountains and it was very like wild and mountainy and rugged. And we would just walk outside our door and we were on the sort of escarpment, the cliff edge in the most insane nature. I used to spend a lot of time in the mountains, just sitting, looking over the most beautiful kind of canyons and mountain edges. But nowadays living up in the Byron Bay hinterland, I actually spend a lot of time in the ocean and I spend a lot of time walking trails to the ocean and walking trails to waterfalls. And we live in a little town where there's a lot of beautiful green rolling hills and we spend a lot of time in nature. It's just a different type of nature now. And I'm still adjusting. I lived in like an Arctic kind of Alpine mountain environment for 12 years. So I'm still adjusting to like how I am in nature here. But every day it's non-negotiable for me to step outside and go on a little adventure somewhere. If it was just walking my dogs, if it's laying under the, my pecan tree under the hammock outside, or it's going on a trail for a walk or going to the ocean and just laying there and receiving the sun. It's really important for me because I do do so much screen time. And I am, you know, cause I work now solely with clients via a digital platform. So I'm just in front of a computer a lot and I'm writing. And it's really important for me to step out of that and have strong boundaries around that by connecting to nature. But I just feel that, honestly, it's the easiest way to be received is just to step into nature and just also receive her, you know, and for me, that's a non-negotiable. And for
0: anyone listening who, you know, maybe they are completely new to plant medicine, you know, everything we talked about is pretty new information. Do you have any key takeaways that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say that, again, returning to the simplicity of plant medicine by drinking teas is a really, really beautiful way to start. And you can supercharge the teas by doing longer infusions. So it just means you infuse the tea overnight, the tea leaves in the water overnight. Um, I did write a, Bunch about that in the book, but there's a lot of information online as well around how to make an overnight infusion. It's super accessible, it's just a long brewed tea. So I think working with teas is a great way to begin to deepen your relationship with plant medicine because everybody has what they need at home, as in, you've got your tea strainer, you've got a jar you know, you can boil your water. I love like doing an overnight brew of like nettle leaf is something I drink a lot of. And I suggest people drink a lot of nettle. It's very nutritive, especially for women. Super simple. I'd say start with one plant that you're feeling drawn to and just work with the energy of that plant. Drink teas, drink it for a few days, drink it for a week, see how it feels on your body. If you've got a garden or the ability to garden, it's always great to grow your own herbs. Um, It's so lovely to see them flourish and grow. And there's just a, there's an otherworldly element of giving to a garden and receiving from it. And you know that with produce as well, it's such a, you feel so chuffed when you grow your own food, you know, it's like such a good feeling when you get to reap those benefits. And the plants are like that too. And a lot of them are super duper easy to grow. So that's a lovely way to begin as well by getting to know a plant a little more is to grow it. Yeah, and it's you know
0: you can have things like herb boxes, can't you? If you don't have a big garden, yeah, totally. you can start with a yeah. herb
1: box. You can have like a windowsill herb box. You know, you don't even need to have a little patio or anything. You can really, you can really um, grow a lot of things in a little container.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So beautiful! You yeah, yeah. just think yeah.
0: you want to go outside and connect with nature. It's really <laughs> awesome. awesome. Um, so just, to, just finally, I ask all of my yes.
1: guests,
0: what does holistic healing mean to you?
1: Mm, that's such a good question. I'm always saying this, that to heal holistically, all parts of the being need to come on board. So in my understanding of it and in my encouragement of it for with clients, it's about not just thinking about your body like it's a physical entity. It's about addressing the imbalances in the body, the mind, the spirit, and the emotions as well. So I do really believe that to shift a health presentation, you need to bring all those elements on board in some way.
0: Mm, Lovely. Thank you. And your book is obviously coming out in a few weeks so just to recap for anybody in Australia or New Zealand it's March the 1st in the UK it's March the 26th and in the USA it's May the 5th is that right
1: yes so exciting yeah
0: Yeah. really really excited for you it is such a beautiful book and yeah I just hope it encourages people to connect with nature and consider what else they can be adding into their day to just improve their health look after themselves and ultimately just support long-term wellness as well that's it exactly
1: yeah it's just about vibrancy and I really believe that by weaving plants into your everyday life you supercharge and support your vibrancy because they are pure nature energy it's pure energy pure plant-powered energy to work with herbal medicine so i think it's a a wonderful way to take care of yourself deeply
0: Uh, and for anyone who might be thinking oh no i'm that person who's currently taking 30 supplements and doesn't really know what they're doing if anyone wants to connect with you maybe need some advice um how do people find you
1: yeah so so by the time that this comes out it will be a brand new spanking platform where you can pop on it's just my name erinloveoverender.com and there'll be a bunch of ways that you can connect with me there and and then also by Instagram, I'm always kind of on there and doing my best to answer DMs and connect with people. But the website will be a lovely way to give people lots of information real soon. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Erin. It has been lovely to chat with you. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Thank you. And just good luck with the book launch. I'm really, really excited for you.
1: Thank you so much. I so appreciate it.
0: For those of you who'd like to take a deeper dive into your healing and transformation, I would love to invite you to join me on retreat in Bali this April. The reconnection retreat is being held in Ubud between the 18th and the 24th of April and we still have a few spaces left. So if you're feeling a bit stuck, maybe going through a life transition or maybe you just want to reconnect with your true essence and come back alive, then this retreat might be exactly what you're looking for. The Reconnection is a journey from disconnected to reconnected, nourished and aligned. Through yoga, meditation, breath work, movement and other unique workshops, trips and ceremonies, we help guide you back to yourself. After all, the relationship with yourself is the most important one you will ever have. So many of us are disconnected and we just need that time and space to find ourselves, really tap into what's true for us. then we can go back out into the world and shine our truest expression so if you're interested please get in touch you can head on over to my website at drlaurenmcdonald.com forward slash retreat for all the retreat details and otherwise just send me a message either via instagram or an email and i can get back to you i really hope you can join us in bali in april Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.